0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology in order to fulfill the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. But go ahead now and turn in your copy of God's word to Mark one, verse 29. A few weeks ago, we began our verse by verse study through the gospel of Mark. And as we get into the scripture here, I just wanna first pause as you're turning there and just ask about your weekend. Did you do anything exciting yesterday? Anybody? Anybody have anything fun planned this afternoon? No big plans, everyone's just kind of like, "No, I took a nap." <laughs> Anybody get a nap in yesterday? Anybody there? Yeah, I got a little one. Uh, a little one I say cuz I fell asleep on the couch uh, in the afternoon and my kids were playing around me and Aaron is gone this weekend and so multiple times in like the 10-minute nap, I was like poked and smacked and it's just a little bit of a nap, but no big plans, no nothing, huh? It's just March 1st, and uh, we're, we're all just taking it a little easy, huh? Well, here's the thing, as we get into Mark 1, I was thinking of this this morning as I was preparing for the message again, I'm just going over my notes and was just like, um, aware, Say, I was aware of how inadequate I am for the task. Mark puts on display for us Christ. And I am not him. And I don't have the words to articulate just how great Christ is. And so as we get into this today, um, you're, you're gonna see the, you know, just the inadequate attempts of your pastor to put before you Jesus. There's just a few notes that you have today, but I just, I just want us to see Christ. I want us to see his Tenderness towards the people here that he directly encountered and towards you. You see that with me this morning? Will you walk with me through it? Because here's what's really interesting about this. I ask about your weekend because the portrait we get this morning is kind of a a walking through the weekend with Jesus. It's walking through the weekend with Jesus. Our passage in, in verse 29 picks up on Saturday lunch and kind of goes over into the weekend. You know that the, the, maybe this is news to you, but the, the Jewish culture, their Sabbath was Saturday, right? And their day went from sundown to sundown not like ours, we're kind of sun-up to sun-up people, right, in in American Western culture. But in Jewish culture, the Sabbath would have begun Friday night when the sun went down, until Saturday night when the sun went down. And so, in here, in this this whole scene, uh, what we saw last week where we ended was Jesus was there on Saturday morning in the synagogue preaching, and what happened, right? Everybody was amazed by how he was teaching. They were astonished. They were amazed by, he was able to cast out a demon in the authority in which he preached. Jesus, we saw, was the absolute authoritative one as the holy one of God. And now church has let out in our passage today, church has let out and the folks are hungry. It's a critical time every weekend, isn't it? But what happens next gives us a picture of just how Jesus spent his weekends. And so turn in your copy, if you're not there already, to Mark 1, 29 through the end of the chapter. And I wanna read it for us. I want us to see, make some conclusions here about how Christ spent his weekends. This is God's word here at Mark 1, 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came." This is God's word for God's people. Beloved, who has the absolute authority over the heavens, the earth, and all things under the earth? It's Jesus. Jesus has the authority to save and to send out. Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm, and now Mark shows us Jesus' power over sickness and disease. He is the great physician with authority over our physical bodies. While modern healthcare providers look to things outside themselves, techniques, machines, medicines, Christ turns inward to the creative power and regenerative ability that he alone possesses within himself. He has the power, and as we read this, we ask, who is this man? He's the great physician, but what type of physician is he? Well, take note here in verse 29 of his compassionate touch of his compassionate touch. Immediately, verse 29 begins, immediately, there's that word in Mark, right? We've seen that over and over and over and over in this chapter, haven't we? He's just like moving at a clip, like, man, Jesus is like immediately doing everything. There's like no nonchalantness about him. Well, it's not necessarily the case. Mark's just showing us the urgency of this message. And as I had mentioned just a few minutes ago, immediately they left church with Simon Peter were there and they leave church and Peter invites everyone to lunch over at his house. Little point of application, who are you inviting to lunch today with you? I didn't challenge you to invite someone, maybe over to your house or over to have lunch with you out somewhere. But what's cool is is Peter's house is right by the synagogue. Just as I said last week, you can go to Capernaum, the modern traditional site where this is and you can see the synagogue. You can also right next door basically see Peter's house pretty cool they built a structure over top of it with a glass floor and everything so you can stand up and look down on it. it's actually really uh, really quite cool but we find out here that Peter's married right we find out that he has a mother-in-law and that gives some weight that gives some context especially as we read first Peter 3 and Peter's instructions to married folks he knows what he's talking about here but we we come into this and immediately we have a catastrophe on our hands don't we Church has been let out. Folks are coming over to the house and the food isn't ready. That's a catastrophe, isn't it? Like if you're inviting people over and, and, and the food wasn't ready, especially like in our Southern hospitality things, that is like a woman's worst nightmare, isn't it? It actually happened at our house a few weeks ago. We were having somebody over after church and we, we, had, put a, uh, we had stuff in the crock pot and, uh, and, and then we got home and it had only been on low or whatever and it wasn't ready And so this is just how amazing my wife is. She was able to uh, whip up something in no time flat, and we had a fantastic meal. But that's just how awesome Aaron is. But in the midst of this catastrophe, Jesus is ever calm, isn't he? He's compassionate, and he fixes the catastrophe just like Christ always does. He doesn't get bent out of shape. No, here's this woman. They bring her to her. Look at it with me. He he comes, verse uh, verse 30, they're over there. She lays ill with a fever. Literally, she's burning up. And immediately, they tell him about her. They bring, say, Jesus, we've got a problem. My mother-in-law here is sick with a fever. And he goes, and he takes her hand, and he lifts her up. Beloved, don't, don't miss what's happening here. Don't miss what's happening here. If somebody has a fever, one of your children has a fever, what do we do? We stay away, don't we? We won't go in the same house, let alone the same room as someone with a fever. A kid goes and it's like, no, we're quarantined. We're staying home and we're not gonna go around him. If, if you're going over to somebody's house and you hear that uh, they're sick or with a fever and it's like, stay away, right? Stay away, like we're, not, <laughs> we're not going anywhere near it, we stay because we, we don't want to catch it. We don't want whatever they have. And this, beloved, does not face Christ because what does he do? When everybody else is running away, what does Christ do? He comes towards. He goes towards her. And not just going towards her, but he touches her. He lifts her up. He, he See the tenderness of Jesus' extended hand as he, as he reaches it out, and as he lifts her up, and immediately here, the fever leaves her. See, when others flee, Jesus feels When others flee, Jesus feels He comes near, and when Jesus comes near Things change, don't they? His nearness is the remedy for her fever He made her, he knows every cell in her body His presence, his mere presence Casts out his enemies, the demons And his mere presence can cast out disease And look at what Peter's mother-in-law does as soon as she's healed, as soon as she's healed, there's no recovery time. You know, we have a fever, it breaks, and then we need like a 24-hour like, kind of recovery time, don't we, because our energy is depleted, we're, we're feeling crummy, and no, she is healed, the fever leaves her, and what does she do? What does she do? Look at the end of verse 31, and she began to serve them. She began to serve them, this is just speculation, but it's probably the best meal she's ever made for anyone. Beloved, feel the kindness and compassion of Christ. You feel it here in the passage? Can You feel the kindness, the tenderness, the compassion of our Savior. Your disease, your warts, your wounds, your struggles, your sin, they do not shake him. They do not shock him. Exposing yourself, opening up the ugly parts of your life to Christ will never repulse him. There's never a time where he, as we come to him broken and, and give it to the Lord, that he's like, ew, don't, I don't want to see that. Feel the compassion. See the compassion of Christ towards the broken, towards the sick. Have you brought your sickness to Christ? Brokenness, the sickness of your body, of your soul? Have you brought your friends and your family to Christ? Look, they tell Jesus about her sickness. Let's be people who invite readily, who pray eagerly, as we know here that we will only always be received by Christ with compassion, with compassion. But you see his his compassionate touch, you see his tenderness here towards one woman and now, just picture the scene here. Like, they're probably like, okay, this happens lunch, and then they have the afternoon. They think, okay, great. We're gonna have a great afternoon together, right? We're gonna, have over at Peter's house, maybe football's on in the afternoon or something. But notice Jesus' tireless ministry in verse 32. His tireless ministry. They're spending the afternoon. The night comes, the sun's going down. They probably have plans to watch Netflix, don't they? Like it's it's the evening, they're ready to wind down get going to bed, and then what happens? Knock on the door, and then another knock on the door, and then there's a sound like thunder outside as the crowds are drawing near to Jesus. Imagine Peter going to his door, like, who's knocking on my door tonight? And there's a there's a crowd out there, and he goes and he opens the door and he's, he turns to Jesus like, uh There's like a whole bunch of folks here ready to that, that are looking for you, Jesus. Look at, sundown comes. Look at verse 32. Sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. See, what's happening here, you may be wondering, like, why at sundown? Well, remember the Sabbath laws. The Sabbath laws, especially those that the Pharisees created, uh, put uh, super strict prohibitions on on the the people of that day for any sort of activity that they could do that day. So they're just laying low. The hullabaloo from the morning, what they had seen at church, the word had spread. Now sundown, it's the Sabbath is over, and it's the next day, and the whole city, do you see that? The whole city, verse 33, was gathered. Gathered together at the door, likely a few hundred people. We don't necessarily know. They didn't have like census bureaus back in those days and records that we have now, some 2,000 years later. But a city like that in Capernaum, there on the sea, likely a couple hundred people or so, give or take. You imagine all those people, and one after another, Jesus heals the sick, he cures diseases, he casts out demons. And he tells them, he prevents them, really. Do you see that? He prevents them from speaking. He doesn't want, the, he doesn't want them to keep spreading uh, who he is. They know who he is, right? They are the ones that revealed. He's the holy one of God. And they're using that to their advantage to really bombard him like this. As this word has spread, and so he, is, he has authority. He's hushing them as they are being cast out because they knew him. We're given, really, here in this whole scene, we're given no indication that Jesus turns any of them away. And I am blown away by this because it, no doubt there were many who were there that cared very little about following Jesus. They cared very, cared very little about the salvation of their soul. They were just there because they wanted the relief or they were just attracted to the circus. And yet, irregardless of their motives, Jesus does not cast any away. And why? 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 Well, one, it's because he has compassion on the broken, doesn't he? His compassion on the broken, his common grace extends to all, to the just and to the unjust. God is a gracious, compassionate, merciful God. And second, why does he cast no one away? Because the purpose of his miracles are to authenticate his authority. He has come as the king. He's the promised son. He's the holy one of God. He is the great physician. And these healings, these miracles are proof of his power. Many can claim to have giftedness. Many can claim to have power, but with no real verifiable results. And now here is a whole city that has been, where disease and demons have been eradicated like rodents. Here now is the proof of his power. He is tireless in his ministry with no off hours. Jesus is always open for business. He's tireless. Jesus came to spend and be spent for the gospel. He came to heal the sick. The Apostle Paul said this about his own life in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 15. He said, I have come most gladly to spend and be spent for your souls. And this is a great charge for us as we care for one another, as we seek to to live and love and minister just like Christ. We see we're, we're good at creating boundaries, aren't we? We're good at setting limits. We're good at staying distance. We're good at judging motives. But here, no Christ is tireless, turning none away. Our command, our, our goal, our job is to work heartily as unto the Lord, just as Christ did. And there's much to do before Christ returns, is there not? So Christ is compassionate, Christ is tireless in his ministry as the physician. He's taking calls after our calls for those who need it most. But beloved here, Jesus, he could work tirelessly because he knew, here third, verse 35, he knew his primary priority. He knew his primary priority. He could work this way. He could work tirelessly because he knew what he came to do. A late Saturday night did not keep Jesus in bed on Sunday morning. He was up early and alone, wasn't he? And what did he go to do? Look at verse 35. Was, he rose very early, underline that, very early. In the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he what? What does it say? There he prayed. prayed. That's right. There he prayed. There he prayed. I don't want you to follow There he prayed. Isn't that a, a fascinating thing? Like, Why is it that Jesus prayed? Ever thought about that? We saw, what's the purpose of prayer? We pray because God is worthy and we are needy. We pray because we get off track and we get uh, sidelined by our sin. We get distracted by the struggles, by the things that happen to us. And so as we pray, we pray to align ourselves with what God is doing, to remind ourselves of his goodness and his sovereignty, his wisdom in our life. That's why we pray. But was Jesus needy? Did he have sin to confess? So why did he pray? He prayed because he knew the importance of abiding with the Father. He knew the importance of abiding with the Father. He knew where his power came. Yes, he was a human being here. So was he tired? No doubt. Was he limited by physical strength and stamina? Yes but he was able to recharge his batteries by abiding with his father. And so he is up early, meeting there in a desolate place, praying, and look here, it's like verse 36, Peter, Simon Peter here, it's like his kids, the kids when they're looking for you, he's out looking. He's like, hey, where are you? And they, they, everybody is with him, searching for him. You know, you can picture the scene. Everybody's apparently sent out like the search party. The house guests, they're staying likely at Simon Peter's house. Now they w- wake up in the morning. Where's Jesus? So they send out, you know, they have their walkie-talkies. They send out the dogs to try to sniff him out. Like, where is Christ? And then Peter, Simon Peter finds him. He's like, everybody's looking for you. Christ was abiding with the Father and in the midst of abiding there, his priorities are reoriented. In the midst of all the healing, in the midst of all the, the unending needs. Are there unending needs even yet today in our world? Yeah, you better believe it. But here Christ is abiding with his Father, reprioritizing, resetting out what he came to do. He knows his priorities. Why did he come? Look here at Peter, look at Jesus' answer to Peter's question, verse 38. Jesus, he said to them, Let us go. He gets found. He's like, All right, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. I've come to what? I've come to preach. Let's go to the next towns. He's come to do, go on a preaching tour that he may preach there also. Here, underline this for that is why I came. Why did Christ come? To proclaim the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. And you know what's really interesting about this? About Jesus setting before us his priorities? Is that in the gospel of Mark, even though like, he records this here, is that Mark doesn't record very much of the content of Jesus' preaching. Like, as you read through it, you, you get very little of it. You, you, there's no three chapters like in Matthew of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the content of Jesus preaching. Like that, was, that was a great message, wasn't it? Probably a long time, it long, took longer to preach it than just to read it. But we, Mark doesn't record any of that. What he actually records is, is really just the snippet, right? We saw that last week in one fifteen. He was saying here, the, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's like his summary statement of all the content of his preaching. But what Mark lacks in content, he makes up an impact by recording the miracles that that Christ did. He records the changed lives. Because that's what he set out to do. He set out to preach, and so he doesn't record the content, but all of these things are the result, the impact of Jesus' preaching. You ever feel like people are always looking for you? Sometimes feel that way, that your kids, your spouse, friends, teachers, classmates, co-workers, the boss, your parents, everyone needs something and they need it now from you, don't they? Maybe that's only my life. (laughs) But if people are looking for you, let them find you abiding with the Lord. If people are looking for you, let them find you abiding with the Lord, that you get to be in His presence you know, this whole thing, like we get off track, we lose our priorities, we, we forget why we, where we've come, we just get swept up in the busyness, the, the tyranny of the urgent in our life. And, and, and there's no one to blame but ourselves. We do it to ourselves. We overcommit to things, we schedule ourselves to no end, we enroll in everything, we enroll our kids in everything, and with good intentions most often. but they crowd out these things, these good things can crowd out what's best. Beloved, let us be a people that abide faithfully. Let us schedule it into our life, this priority that if I am apart from Christ, I can do nothing. You know that, John 15? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Especially all the things on your schedule let us abide like Christ faithfully with the Father, scheduling it into the rhythms of your life. Jesus did. Can, can, let me just ask this, can you manage your life better than Christ could? He manages the whole universe, and yet he prioritized abiding with the Father. He prioritized the preaching ministry, his gospel ministry. God, abiding with his Father gave him clarity and focus in the midst of the craziness. And I'm telling you, start here. Let not a day go by without abiding in the Lord and you will have the focus and the clarity that you need for the responsibilities that are ahead of you. Prioritize rightly. Christ was, Christ, this is how he kept the compassionate heart. This is how he kept a focused mind. This is how he kept energized in his body was by keeping his priorities before him of abiding with the Father beloved and he continues to do this. You know that Christ still prays for us. And even now he sits the Father's throne interceding for you and I. That his ministry for us was not like come to earth and done, though it was in one sense, but it continues on. It continues on as he intercedes for us. You know, it's even another mind-blowing thought. Here's some theology for you. Another mind-blowing thought is that even in the moments when we don't know what to pray, when things are so distressing, when things are so crazy, and we're like, I I don't even have the words to say to you right now, is that God's spirit prays for us as well. That's pretty mind-blowing. Two members of the Trinity in a given moment might be praying for us. You see the compassion do you feel the compassion and tenderness and the willingness of our Father? See, Jesus focuses in. He says, I'm here to preach, and what happens next? Like, he's, he's ready to go. He's here to preach. And look, he, another sick person approaches him. You see that? Look at, look at verse 40 here. He says, I come out to preach. He's gonna go throughout all Galilee on this preaching tour, preaching in synagogues, casting out demons. And in verse 40, we find his willing heart his willing heart as another sick person approaches him. And what I love about this passage, beloved, that we're in, it's like his tenderness, There are bookends to the hardworking, focused Jesus. We, we really feel and see the compassionate side of him in all of this. You know, you've, you've had a situation like what we're about to, to look at here. You've, you, got, you woke up, you got all psyched up, you're all set, you have your schedule planned out for the day, you're about to head out the door and get after it, priorities are here, you've met with the Lord, and then the phone rings, right? Oh, and now it seems like your whole day can be derailed, right? Just by that one phone call. You were focused, you were meeting with the Lord, you were tender before Him, and now it's like, oh, and now here's something but beloved this encounter isn't a derailment from what Jesus came to do remember this is the impact it is the impact of what Christ came this leper comes before him Are you familiar with this have you as you've read through the scripture have you seen how leprosy is a common theme leprosy is, is one of those diseases that we see often in the scripture here and and it's it's one of those maybe bigger like uh, categories of maybe a more specific disease it's common in the bible but let me just give you a little bit of background of what we know about leprosy even today hear this what this commentator says it says it's important to know is that leprosy, or what it's called now is Hansen's disease, okay? It's known now in our modern medicine as Hansen's disease. It's a, which is really named after the guy who, um, who diagnosed its cause. It's not a rotting infection as is commonly thought. You know, where like we get these sores on our skin that it's just like this rotting skin disease. Nor are its horrible outward physical de- deformities imposed by the disease. In recent years, the research of Dr. Paul Brand and others has proven that the disfigurement associated with Hansen's disease comes solely because the body's warning system of pain is destroyed. The disease acts as an anesthetic, bringing numbness to the extremities as well as to the ears, eyes, and nose. The devastation that follows comes from such incidents as reaching one's hand into a charcoal fire to retrieve a dropped potato, or washing one's face with scalding, boiling hot water, or gripping a tool so tightly that the hands become traumatized and eventually stump-like. See, leprosy isn't just isn't a skin disease per se with rotting flesh. It's that, it's that the nervous system, the, the, the pain sensors in our outer extremities are broken. And so this is a message for a different time, but pain is actually a very good thing, beloved. Pain is a good thing because, because if, imagine if you were to lose the sensation of pain in your hands. You know, the examples that were given is if you were cooking, you would just reach into the oven and pull out that hot tray. And where God in his wisdom and his kindness designed it to be like to set off the alarm bells in your brain. You know, there's those sensors here in your fingers that, you know, hot! Let go! Someone with this disease, just like, those sensors are broken. The lines had been cut somewhere. And now, the flesh is beginning to rot off their fingers. The skin is is horribly burned and they're just going about their day. And now, just over time, instead of washing and cleaning and all the things, it's it's just, they don't feel all the nicks and all the bumps that continue to make it fester and never let it heal and dirt and other things get into it until at some point, The disease, the the infection just takes over and next thing you know, fingers are being amputated. You're banging your head on something and you just don't even feel it. A scratch happens, a cat scratches you or something and you you, you just don't even feel it. And you can imagine how devastating that would become over time. And so here's this man with this disease in a day where they don't know all the medical treatments and all the things that we know and this leper comes, this desperate man comes begging Jesus, appealing to two things, his wisdom and his power there's no doubt about his power look at what he says he comes imploring him that's begging him he's kneeling before him whether that's a posture of humility or because his his feet and legs have been amputated we're not sure all we know is this posture of humility and he says this very profound thing if you will you can make me clean there's no doubt about his power. You can make me clean. He knows. He's, he's seen it. The, the stories have been told that all those people that had lined up, been lined up at the door the night before, that has all gone forward. And now here's the most desperate man who knows his power. The question is, is he willing? If you will. If you will. See, his ability is related to God's power, which is absolute. His willingness is attached to his sovereignty, to his wisdom. And beloved, this this is hard for us to comprehend, but our sovereign God is wise beyond us, and sometimes immediate healing is not part of his wise good plan for us. We'll be eventually... We have, we who are believers, have the the hope of glory when we will receive our resurrected bodies where sin will no longer dog us, where sin will no longer have these debilitating, painful, disease-inducing effects. But beloved sickness and suffering are fertile soil for salvation, sanctification, and glorification. How can I say that, how can I say that, especially in a passage like this, where it's like, here, Jesus is willing, isn't he always, he's willing for here, the most desperate, is that, why, why isn't he willing all the time? Well, we have to be careful in narratives, here's just an interpretive rule of the scriptures, is we have to be careful of drawing doctrines out of, of stories like this. We can't make this a rule for all things. Here, Jesus is very willing, and we're gonna come back to that. But I want us to just see here that that sometimes the delay in our healing is for our good. And how can I say that? Well, let's look at some other scriptures. You can turn there if you want to, or you can listen as I read Romans 5, three through five. Romans 5, three through five says this. But we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, beloved, suffering, sickness, disease like this is one of God's means to draw us near to himself, to teach us the endurance that we need to make it to the end, to produce in us the godly character that is not natural to any of us, to produce the hope that we need for better better days ahead, and God in his kindness and his love has put his Holy Spirit in us to help us walk through it. Note the wisdom and kindness of God in the midst of suffering. He says this again, 1 Peter 6. 1 Peter 6, or 1 rather, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials See, in the midst of our suffering, beloved, in the midst of sickness, God is doing a great work in us, giving us a strong joy in the God whom we don't see, but we know and love and believe and trust in. This is the goodness of our God. You probably have heard James 1 just a few pages back, where he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Again, in verse 12, he said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial in the midst of sickness and all those things. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. See, beloved, even in the midst of sickness and in joy, even in the midst of long-standing, enduring long hardships, God is doing a great work in us, even if, He's withholding his physical healing for a season. But it's for his glory and for our good, even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't understand it. But this is why he appeals to both the wisdom and the power of God. You can, if you can, but if you will. And he comes desperate and broken after a long season back in Mark 1, And this is a profound prayer, a prayer that we should express because it expresses complete faith in the wisdom and power of God. And what happens, the leper is immediately healed. Can you imagine the surge of sensation as feeling came back to his body? Can you imagine the surge of sensation as his nervous system powered up, these sores were healed, and he was immediately made clean? Can you imagine these things? See, listen to this. It's, it's on the screen here for you. This is in Leviticus. Here, this was this guy's reality. This was his reality. This is how he had to live. This is Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. How long would that be? Probably forever. Unless he encountered Christ. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Imagine the pain. Not the physical pain, but the soul pain. of a, Here's a man who has a disease that he did nothing to, d- to deserve, and yet now he can't even be among his family, his friends. He can't be near anyone. But he... He's outside the camp. He's alone, and anytime somebody comes near him, it, it, as he hears them or they see them approaching, he has to cry out in great shame, "I'm unclean." What a horribly lonely existence till he encounters Christ. Do you see it here, beloved? And Christ makes him clean. Leviticus 13 is no longer his reality. What's what's really interesting here in in verse 43, Jesus hushes him up, right? He sternly warns him and he sends him out. And the man promptly disobeys him and tells everybody, doesn't he? How could you not? How could you not? Now, Now here's a man that's been restored. And once again, Jesus is bombarded. Do you see that? Verse 45, he went out began, this is the man, he talked freely about it to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in the desolate places. As so people were coming to him from every quarter, Do you glimpse the gloriousness of the gospel in this passage? See, here's, here's the, the impact of Jesus' preaching, more than the healing here. Do you see how they've changed places? This is a picture of the gospel, beloved. We were once outside the camp. Our sins separated us from God. And yet Christ came and drew himself near, healed our greatest disease, our greatest, uh, our sin-filled problem. And he took it on himself so much so that now we traded places. He took his sin on his behalf and now he's outside the camp. You know that Christ did that for you? We call it the great exchange. We call it the great exchange that we brought our sin and Christ took it on himself and bore the punishment, the consequence for that on the cross, so much so that he was cast outside the camp for us where he endured the wrath and the abandonment of the Father, the punishment that we deserved. And in turn, he gave us the righteousness. He declared us righteous. He made us clean in himself. Beloved, that is the gospel. Christ in our place. See, our greatest problem is not our sicknesses. Our greatest problems are not the diseases that we face. The greatest problem that we have is the sin that so easily entangles us. And so what do we do, beloved? What do we do as we come to a passage like this? Maybe you've never seen just how glorious the gospel is. You come like the leper. See, That's who we are in the story. And we come to Christ confessing desperately, I am unclean, make me clean. And unlike the the wisdom and the willingness here we know from the scriptures is that when we come confessing our sin, God will turn no one away. Your sin is not too great that Christ would cast you out. The things that you've done that you've told no one about are not too much for Christ to bear. He will always accept you, and he is always willing. I will make you clean. That's what Christ came to do. you see his willing heart to save you? Do you see his compassionate touch as he draws us near? Beloved, his healing of your soul will always be immediate and complete. You're never beyond his salvation. You will live a life, yes, of, of working that out, but his salvation, your regeneration, be immediate. As Christ does that, imagine the surge of faith that will shock through your system. As you see in color, which was once just dull. All you do is you just come to, come to the Lord. I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Heal me. I need your touch today, Lord. I need it. I've been doing this on my own. I'm this guy living outside the camp. I'm, 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 I'm beat up. I'm disfigured by my sitting. Would you come to Christ today? Would you come and find him compassionate, tireless, eager, and tender? He stood in your place. What a weekend for Jesus, huh? As you compare this to your weekend? The naps that we might have got in the the things that we might have watched the things that we might have done what a weekend here for jesus the great physician preaching praying healing and in the midst of it all what do we find him tender and compassionate tireless focused bidding all who are broken to come to him turning none away who come to him desperate you see christ today you see why I feel inadequate to put the gloriousness of Christ before you? See, who can, who can describe just how awesome our God is? But see it, feel it today. Feel it today.